Righteousness and praise rising up throughout the earth. Saints of God, a pure and spotless bride, clothed in white, full of faith, head lifted high.
you make our missionary guest at home here at Journey Fellowship? Let's welcome missionary Tim Teague. What a joy to be here as you start your missions emphasis for this month. We are Tim and Chrissy Teague, and uh, uh, Chrissy and the family haven't traveled with me uh, because uh, we're not sure what we'll encounter and uh, in these uh, risky days. But this trip up here uh, this morning, I took, uh, you know, the exit uh, 377 to Carroll Boulevard, and it brought back a lot of memories because uh, this is my alma mater. You know, I went to University of North Texas, so I went past the place to be apartments where my wife was living. We were dating and got engaged, and came by Kroger right next here where I used to, if you were here 28 years ago and you bought uh, groceries over there, more than likely I sacked them up for you and took them to your car. I was a very important employee of <laughs> Kroger <laughs> and uh, went to college here, had come in from Africa, uh, you know, and then did my student teaching here before I became a teacher in Texas for over a decade and a varsity coach. And then God put it on our heart to go to missions ourselves. We served in Senegal and now the Ivory Coast and also with Globe University. I want you to know something. Taking that trip down memory lane. I did a lot for me today. I attended this church one time in 1991. We had a good friend down in Louisville, Benny Grisham, so I was a member of his church. It was here in 1991, probably a different crowd, almost a different place then, but coming down that road, I would have never thought uh, that I would be a missionary. I went to college to make money. Well, that already tells you plan A fell apart because I became a teacher <laughs> and then was dumb enough to agree to be a coach. You make about 30 cents an hour if you look at your hours. Sorry for any of my fellow educators out there. <laughs> you feel my pain. Uh, but what a moment to be back in Denton again, having served in world missions for 16 years. Do not want to make this about us this morning, but do want to say that it is with great joy and great appreciation to be in Denton. Whew. Do not know why I'm emotional today. <laughs> but uh, I've got a grown daughter. She's a reporter. She's in St. Louis. Looks like she may be in Jackson, Mississippi. You know, I just cannot believe the years that have passed. Almost 30 years since I rode into this town. Um, had a had one bag. I remember that. I had a my dad had finally bought me a car. I had a Toyota Corolla and a one bag that you could hold, you know, in your hand. And that's how that's what I lived on. Today things have gotten more complicated. But I still see that young man. This is about young people. You've got a call. Doesn't matter what your plans are in life. I've got friends that have homes bigger than the churches that I've pastored. <laughs> and my uh, retirement is not what I expected it to be because I gave it all to become a missionary. But I want you to know, we have not regretted or lost anything. God puts you on a path, and you stay faithful to that path. You are called to serve God. Whether you're young or old this morning, you are called to serve Him. If you go to my PowerPoint, 
I think I'll probably uh, skip the video since the compelled video was so strong and I was an emotional wreck when I got up here, so I don't want to waste any more time. <laughs> but if you'll uh, go to the PowerPoint that I had, uh, the, our team back there giving you, and just know that after our uh, service today, if you want to know more about our specific ministry and what we do, uh, we do fulfill the four aspects of world missions that I'll talk about, uh, and that is at TeagueFamilyMissions.com. So Teague, we're a family, and we're in missions.com. And if you're from Denton, you'll be supporting one of your Eagles. I was a part of the Mean Green team. So is my wife. So we are graduates, University of North Texas. My wife went back and did a master's degree. I did my post back there. So this has got a lot of memories here. We had talked about if this wasn't COVID times, and, you know, because Donald Trump got sick yesterday, we ended up canceling our plans. We were going to get a hotel room up here and go to the game and then come to the service tonight. But I'm glad I did not go. <clears throat> if you saw the results of North Texas again. So... I'm glad I stayed at home last night. But we're TeagueFamilyMissions.com. We're missionaries in West Africa. We also serve actively in Western Europe and have for over the last 10 years. And so uh, we're basically teaching and planting churches. And then we teach church planters. That's what we do in West Africa and Western Europe. And uh, I wanted to continue on and talk about what does that entail because my place of residence is Abidjan, Ivory Coast. But we work in more than one place. And if we would continue on, I would show you the main thing that every missionary should be involved in, as well as you, is evangelism. Evangelism. And I'll tell you that when you reach out in evangelism, it can take a lot of different forms. This is at a medical clinic that we held in January. And every single person that came, we, we had three doctors from Joplin, Missouri, and three nurses come. And we had six doctors and nurses from the Ivory Coast. We also built four tabernacles at the same time that are now four churches in West Africa, but we treated 1,450 people in five days. That's a lot. And on top of that, every single person that came was, they received uh, AIDS testing and malaria testing. 20% of our people had malaria on the spot. And it was a great outreach, but every single morning, without exception, we preached the word of God before they entered into that place because we were believing that people would be divinely healed before they entered in. We gave them the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is alive. Jesus is alive. That's what I want you to know today. That's what I'll preach on today is that Jesus is actually alive, and he's alive in you. Every time we win somebody to the gospel, we have started another local church. You are supposed to be the local church in your home. You come here to be encouraged and to be led by a bishop, but you are a church when you are saved, and you are to show who Christ is to other people and then to speak the word. So we preached every single morning. And then, and this is just one example of evangelism. And then in, after they had their medical uh, treatment, we had a prayer team ready to pray with them. It doesn't sound like a lot, but in that neighborhood of 135,000 Muslim, we were able to gain 40 people to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. When we say that we win people to Jesus Christ, in Ivory Coast it means that the report, we wait two, sometimes two months to find our numbers because we make sure that they have been discipled and are ready to be baptized before we declare them a convert. So that's 40 people added to that local church. And the building, the local church we were in, was a place that was built by our, mission, our churches. It's a place for new converts coming out of Islam, especially women that have been thrown out of their home. In fact, on that, this event, we had just finished the home that they would live in as well as a 
church that was made out of two tabernacles where we'll also give them training. It's a long-term project we've been involved in for seven years. You know, in the church, it's not enough just to get out on the street and preach the gospel. You've got to have a place where people can come and rebuild their lives. And that's why we church plant. You go to that next uh, PowerPoint. I sound more professional, modern when I say PowerPoint. How pitiful is that? Get next, here we go. We church plant. Because as much as you're a church when you get saved, you have to be with other people. God never intended us to do it alone. You know the reason for that? The gifts of the Spirit cannot be manifested in one person because you don't receive all the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts are distributed among the body. God did that so that you would not do His work alone. You see, you gain the fruit of the Spirit when you get saved, and God breathes His Spirit in you to change your character, but none of you have all the gifts. So if you think you did, I'm here to disappoint you today. These people, whether you like them or not, you have to love them because you need them to do the work of God. That's why we come together in a church plant we evangelized across West uh, Ivory Coast. I can tell you in the West, we had great events. We had over 3,000 saved and added to nine churches in one event over 10 days. But in our local neighborhood of Abidjan, where we live, the capital city of the Ivory Coast, Cote d'Ivoire, 10 million people live in that city. And if you're a missionary and if you're a person, you should be involved in a local church. So we went into a very dark neighborhood we had a larger church support us to do that, to plant a new church. It's not just about evangelism as a, a missionary. We need to be involved in actual church planting. So I am a pastor, but my flock is very lonely, and I've re been replaced by an African pastor because after we got over 100, they sent me assistant. I want you to know that in this place on a soccer field where we started with evangelism, an empty soccer field, and I used to be a soccer coach, I can tell you, preaching on a soccer field, they get a lot more out of me than playing on one. That's one of the first pictures of our leadership team, my son there. You can kind of see the picture in front of the rented facility. We started on this empty soccer field in a neighborhood with no electricity, a neighborhood with no water, one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in Ivory Coast, West Africa. The imam and the Muslim there blocked us almost every night. I was supposed to preach three nights. Finally, at the end of one night, after the games were over, I was finally able to preach. I want to tell you, they did everything to keep the Word of God from going forward. I got up there on my little soapbox to preach. My worship team that I invited to come were late. Now, you may not appreciate this mission strategy, but in the mother church who had given me five women and two men to plant a new church, and we had prayed for six weeks before going in, and we had distributed 5,000 tracts from Light for the Lost and gone to every home. After all that effort, we started with an empty soccer field because the imam had told the people not to come. But I noticed that those soccer players were still around and some of the crowds had been watching the games. They had stepped out of the light because it was dark now and we had our lights. And I can remember being there with three other people saying, where in the world's my worship team? Began to preach and they began to yell from the darkness. Every time I would say something, they would yell, they would yell it down. But thank God my strategy worked because the three gals that I had chosen, who were the prettiest ladies in the big church in town, they were gorgeous and they sang better than they looked. When those three showed up, I said, get up there and sing. All of the people that were yelling stopped yelling. How many of you know that men aren't going to yell down a pretty girl singing to them? 
That's called mission strategy. And I want you to know, when they began to sing, they finally stopped. It looked empty. The hostility was gone, but nobody was there is what we thought. We preached the Word of God, and people started coming out of the apartments. They started coming out of the alleys. By the time we were done, it was full. 47 people accepted Jesus Christ. After they accepted Jesus Christ, we took their names. We began to follow up. I'll tell you a powerful story about one of those women that came that night in her hijab, a Muslim lady. But we prayed for those that were sick. After those that had been saved came down, we had, and sure enough, the demoniac showed up. And so they began to yell because the Muslim imam had failed. So now the demoniacs came, and they were bouncing off the ground. And the few believers that were out there, I said, listen, stand up and pray. And they were immediately silenced. And as long as those people stood and prayed, the demons had no power. They said, Tim, you've got 46 people. you got 46 people. How many are going to show up two days from now in this little rented place? It was more than two miles away from our event. And at the time, it had no doors, no running water, no electricity. In fact, there was rubble. We were sweeping rubble out of this building. It was the only place that we could get that they would rent to us. And when the people showed up two days later, there were so many people that literally I was surrounded by people and they were out on the, the, the porch outside and we had to put a tent across the street because people were coming. And I've got to admit I was confused because when I prayed for healing that night, I didn't see a single person get healed. Yes, the demons were silenced and people got saved. And those people, by the way, 38 of them, we had the pleasure of baptizing and bringing into the faith. And this morning, let me tell you a report, 250 people worshipped in Bethel, Assembly of God in Abidjan. But can you forgive me for having doubt? You think you don't have doubt when you stand out on a soccer field? and you're praying for people to be healed, and there are people gravely sick and people injured, and you're laying hands, and I'm saying to God, if you would just heal one of these people that have come forward, we would have a revival. I'm telling God his business. Don't you understand, Jesus? I just preached that you are the road to life. Please heal somebody. Nothing happened. But something did happen. You see, one of the little Muslim ladies that came, she's four foot seven. She's in my worship team now. She came, she can't read or write. She's among the least of these. She lives in a shack down the hill from the church. Her husband's a guard, guards the land and the banana trees. He's a Muslim. Let me just say they both were Muslim. We now baptize them in the Bethel Assembly of God. Why? God was doing something. She came forward, and I prayed. She came to the church two days later, and she wanted to give a testimony. We were so busy, had so many things going. I couldn't get to her testimony right away. Finally, I said, you can give your testimony. I wasn't even sure who she was yet. She'd been discipled some. So two months later, she gave her testimony. And she said, when I came, I can't understand it. But she said, the pastor came, and he prayed for everyone, the missionary. But when he came to me, he didn't lay hands on me. He laid hands on my son that was in front of me. I don't remember that. And she said, what he didn't understand is I was not the one that was sick. My son was sick. 
He's nine years old, and he hasn't walked or talked in two years. He has a tumor the size of a small orange in his brain. And she said, so I held him by his arms, and when the missionary came, he laid hands on my son. And at the end of the service, Jesus did not do anything. So she said, I picked up my son, and I walked him all the way to my home like I had done for years, two years, and I laid him down on a mat next to me, and I went to sleep like I had done for two years. But she said, at 5 o'clock on Saturday morning in the dark, as I reached to see if my son was there, he wasn't there, and I was afraid. So she said, I lit a lamp and went out, and she said, I heard a commotion before the sun came up in the courtyard. And she said, there was my son. He had awakened everybody in the neighborhood. He wanted to play with the kids. He was running. He was playing. Every person in the neighborhood of Abidjan Besiqua could hear the yells of a boy that was healed in the night because God does not share his glory with us. It's not about me. The young man with the call going to North Texas. It's about Jesus in me and the truth that he changes lives. Our mama took her to the hospital. She said, what money I had, we gave again to the surgeons, and they did an MRI, which, by the way, in Ivory Coast costs about $200. Can you believe that? Oh, God help us. Let me go on. And there was no tumor. She came on Sunday with her husband. They worshiped God in a Christian church. He wasn't even a Christian yet, her husband. It took us a while to bring him into the faith. Then they went to that doctor, and so she took her son on Monday morning to school. And a month later, the headmaster of the school said, I don't understand this. We haven't seen your boy in two years, but he's top of the class. He does math that's impossible to do, and his French is better than any other student in this school. How can that be? She said it's because Jesus is alive. So folks, we plant churches, but we must plant churches believing in the power of God. And then we must train people as we move on, because when we plant churches, we have to train. It's not as exciting, but I can tell you I train at all levels. In our church, we train people and we disciple them, but also in the local churches. And this is a local church graduation. We've also brought in a certificate program to train church leaders that are involved in any type of ministry, worship greeting at the door, youth ministries. And in just one year's time, we've had we've trained 500 students in six churches, and those six churches represent almost 40 churches in the Ivory Coast. Right now, we were just informed that this has become so popular as we're teaching them how to interpret the Bible first and then how to preach, that right now we have another 3,000 wanting to be trained across the Ivory Coast. We will be launching this system in Paris, France, across Europe in April, and we'll be launching this system right here in North Texas in the Dallas area for French speakers in the month of February with the North Texas District, where we'll be training church leaders uh, in in Bible and especially interpretation of the Bible and preaching. Praise God that we're bringing here many of the things that we're doing there because we need it, folks, right here in North Texas. Amen? 
We also train at the Bible Institutes. We train pastors, and we train in Paris. For 10 years, we've built a European Bible college. Can I give you a report that in Paris, we teach at the undergraduate level, and since COVID-19 has hit, this is in French, we offer accredited BAs from America in French. Since COVID-19 has hit, we have tripled the amount of church leaders that are training. I just, just two nights ago, trained 48 people in Paris. I'll be training, uh, next Wednesday I have 50 in Toronto. We have the nations of Cameroon, Burkina Faso, the Ivory Coast, and across America, people coming to train. That's exciting stuff. I just wanted to give you that report. Pray for the European Bible College, because as of right now, we have trained 350 church planters across five nations in Europe, and that's an ongoing project. So somebody say, praise God. Wow, I've gone 20 minutes. I'll tell you what, if I could get done in 35 minutes, would you be happy? Give me 15 more minutes. I'm looking at the youth. If they fall asleep, I'm shutting down. There's so much to do in the mission field. There's also the outreach when we, as I talked about the medical, if we go to the next, you know, we also serve. And that can be translated in a lot of ways. This is Tabernacles. I don't need to say a lot tonight about Tabernacles because you have Bill Moore, but this is one of the 20 Tabernacles that we've built as missionaries in the Ivory Coast. As of right now with my brother, we've built 220 in the Ivory Coast alone. Those Tabernacles become schools, hospitals, churches, anything you can imagine. Just to show you the latest, there's a Tabernacle we built. You saw me evangelizing on this ground in Northern Ivory Coast. If you move on to show you what that became. We put in the walls. Churches in Missouri and Texas financed this. It's now a, a thriving church of over 100 believers. And then if we just move on to that last PowerPoint, you would see the outreach that we just recently did. If you go one more, please. There we are in our medical outreach. And we can turn that PowerPoint off now. When we talk about serving, there's so many other ways that we can go past the barriers that people have put up. We found that medical missions, we went up to the far northeast in an unreached people group, took American doctors up there and we're building a medical clinic. And now each year we've been bringing in medical teams, mainly from Missouri, because that's where we connected with them. And can you believe that in five days time, we won over 400 people of the Lobi people and the unreached people groups of northeast Ivory Coast. Right now, Al-Qaeda and ISIS are working together in that region. And we went into very dangerous zones, have even been targeted at times that God protected us and were able to bring people into a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is because of the love we showed. Some of the people came to one of the pastors that had worked there for years and said, we believe in Jesus now because we have experienced his love. How can people like this come to a place so remote as ours and show us the love of God? The thing that struck them the most, and it was a revival moment, in that medical was our nurses from Joplin, Missouri took a lady with breast cancer with an open sore. You could smell it when she walked in the room. And they took that wound and they bathed that wound and they treated that lady. And then they began to pray with her. And joy came when she sensed the love in their heart. Listen, the Holy Spirit in you does the work. It's not just the physical touch. The people in that room, many of them had to leave because in African culture, you do not cry in public like I've done today. And they walked out and came back in. They were so touched 
that these people from America, from a strange place, would come and show the love of God. See, that's the mark of the Holy Spirit in you, is love. And when people encounter sacrificial love, what a time we live in right now to be able to show sacrificial love to those that are hurting, to those that are wounded, to those that are refugees, to those that are immigrants. The groups that I work with across Europe, here in America, and even in Africa, are full of refugees and immigrants. This is the time for the church to stand up and say, Jesus is alive, and the way that I'm going to show you that is not just in my preaching and in my stories. It's the way that I'm going to wrap my arms around you and say that you are my brother, you are my sister in Christ, and I'm going to love you like I would my own children. May God help us. Well, that's my introduction. John 20 was my text today. Talking about the power of God and he's alive. Jesus is alive. And by his spirit, we have the ability to follow his example and break through all barriers. You sit here in Denton, Texas, that has hosted the nations. Year after year, this city in North Texas has hosted the nations of the world. You sit here in a perfect place as well, not only through your missionaries, but through your outreaches here in Denton, Texas, with the University of North Texas and Texas Womans right here in your city to reach the nations. Praise God. That every believer, every Christian, would seek the presence of God daily, that they could communicate the uh, gospel of reconciliation in a miraculous way. I'm going to say it one more time. Your goal in life should be to communicate the gospel of reconciliation to Jesus Christ in a miraculous way. That people would see miracles. <clears throat> God help us. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. We would read that as we start here. And I'm not very gifted with my left hand, as you can see. <clears throat> Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. It says that in many ways and in different times, God has spoken to us through the ancestors, through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son who created the universe. And his son is the glory of God, the perfect expression of his being. And he is set down at the right of the Father. If you see any hesitation, just understand my text is in French and I haven't written a sermon in English in three years. <laughs> I'd ask you a question today. Do you radiate the glory of God because you've been in his presence? The difference you can make especially in this month when we're talking about missions. If you would say, I'm going to get into God's presence and have practices the best I can to stay in his presence every day, can you imagine the difference you could make if you were the radiance of God's glory? Hmm. That's what we have the power to do. In John 20, we see people who had been in the presence of God and starting as a background in, in John Verses 16 and 18, we have Mary who encounters Jesus at the tomb. And you know, she doesn't know it's Jesus when she sees him until she hears his voice and she hears him say her name. You know, God's speaking to you today 
What are you going to do for missions in this month and in this coming year in 2021? God is calling not you today to say, how are you going to represent me in your community? How are you going to represent me around the world? What are you willing to give? Because let me tell you something, folks. If it's not a sacrifice, God is not interested in the crumbs that you can throw at him. He is interested in your very best. And when you give your very best to him, he will never let you down. And she looks at him and she cries, Rabbi, 16. And from there, verse 18, she went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Boy, could that be my prayer today for all of you, that you could say when you walk out of your house tomorrow morning, I have seen the Lord. I have heard from him. I have seen him. I have touched him, and he has changed me. In John 20, we read, the follow-up to this. Now I'm going to have to read between the lines now. They taught me to do that in seminary. That means if there's something not here, you make it up. <clears throat> A woman came to these disciples that were the closest friends of Jesus and told them that he, they had seen Jesus. And you want to know the truth? They didn't believe a word she had to say. Neither does this world around you right now. They don't want to hear your words. They want to see proof. You know how I know they didn't believe a word that she said? Some of them had gone to the tomb with her, and they didn't see Jesus. You're mistaken, Mary. The second reason I know that they did not believe Mary is they are behind locked doors, and they are scared to death because they're the, the next that are going to be crucified, if you think about it. And so they're sitting there behind their rock, locked doors, full of fear. And on the evening of that day, verse 19, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a moment. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And this is the first account of people being born again in the New Testament. When God breathes the Spirit into you, when you accept Jesus Christ for the first time, Jesus Jesus breathes the Spirit into you, and you receive the fruit of the Spirit, and that is evidence first, according to John 15, by joy. Hallelujah. You have joy unspeakable in that moment. That's how you know that someone has been saved, is when they have joy unspeakable. I preached out in Western Ivory Coast, another place of great opposition. Ten days. I told you the report. Over 3,000 saved after 10 days. Went with another African church, traded off each night with an evangelist. It was a powerful moment. It rained every day, even in Ivory Coast, this is unheard of, from morning till night. But at 7 p.m. sharp every night when we were supposed to speak was 7.30, at 7 p.m., the rain stopped, and the rain started again at 10.30. So we knew exactly when we needed to finish preaching and do our altar call. We knew what was going on. We were showing films and preaching in six villages around the largest town of Fakabli, 
all around this town called Fakoglu. And so every night there was seven services happening at the same time. The first night I spoke, I'll never forget, as 200 people ran to the altar, a place ravaged by war, a place that's been forgotten, a desperate place, they'd heard the gospel. But that's not the report I wanted to give. Because six weeks after this, we even had a greater report. You see, the shamans of the religion of the mask who live in that dark forest, who have even refused for the electric company to even put electricity in it because they worship their gods among the snakes and impure things. They go there and do their ancient practices, what they call the religion of the mask, where they cast their spells and pray to their spirits. They had gathered there, and they were doing their animal sacrifices in the forest, and they were praying to their gods that we would have no success. And can I tell you something, folks? Where Jesus doesn't reign, the enemy has great power. But the head witch, the head shaman who sat out in that forest, who heard that sermon that first night, he came to our Assemblies of God church six weeks after the event, he is the head paramount priest of the religion for that entire region. But he came with a cart full of masks, and behind him was a young man with a cart full of fetishes. And they came in front of the church, and he sat them down and asked for the pastor to come. He said, I cast spells and pray to the spirits like we've done for centuries. And it has never failed. Our spirits have always overcome. And we prayed that you would be rained out. But every night when the word of God was spoken, our spirits were silenced. And we sat in that forest, and we couldn't even see them anymore. I don't know if you know this, but idolatry is the idols that they make are based on the spirits they can see and live with. And he said the word came that there was a path to light and one a path to death. And I want the path to light. So the shaman of the region got on his knees with the crowd around him, became our evangelist, broke the ancient mass of the Wobe people and asked, could you show me how to put my family and my people on the way to light and not the way to death? God's on the throne, folks. God is on the throne. And the world is looking for God is alive. And God gives, Jesus gives the proof that he is God. Because there's also a doubter here in the text that we have in John 20. And you know the story. There's Thomas. Thomas wasn't among the 12 when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Oh, come on now. I Hey, listen, I've fished on Lake Texoma for many years. Everybody's always caught their biggest fish when I'm not around. Get it? Oh, really? Jesus came when I wasn't there? Here's Thomas right here. Hey, Jesus came. What's he going to say? Oh, hey, you knew Jesus better than me? What makes you so special? You think it's not the same for you when you're talking to your neighbors, telling them these great stories? They're going to say to you, oh, really? You've seen healing? You've seen all that? You've heard about this missionary came through? you got these big stories? Well, I don't believe it. Unless God shows himself to me, why would I believe you? What makes you so special? Did you know that you are the person that is intended to show them the power of God and that he's alive. Poor Thomas. The big story they came up with. 
unless I see the hands, the marks, the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Welcome to the United States of America and to Europe, to France, and to Africa. You want to talk a big game? Show me who Jesus is. I don't want to hear about your granddaddy. I don't want to hear about your grandmom. I don't want to hear about this great pastor and evangelist. I want to hear it from you. I remember working a factory job up in Durant, Oklahoma. It was a thing that encouraged me to finish at North Texas. I did one summer at a plastics factory, and I had been never more encouraged to finish college at that moment. Every woman in that plant was twice as tough as me, and I thought I was tough. And the guy that got me the job, it happened because he told me he couldn't live for Jesus. He was in Denison, Texas. He said, Tim, you got big talk, but if you go work in that factory I work, I know within one month you won't be living for Jesus. I said, Patrick, get me a job. I don't have any money. So I worked at that miserable place in 130 to 140 degrees. And many days, what in the world am I doing here, man? I could have worked down on the coast. I could have done anything. Hmm. But Patrick's mama, again, had a brain tumor behind her eye, could no longer see. One day when I was hanging out with him, went to his mama's house. She no longer had vision in one eye, and they'd given her no hope. I said, Patrick, have you prayed for your mama? He said, no. I said, ma'am, do you believe God heals? She said, yes, the church I go to though, over here doesn't believe it. I said, well, I believe God heals. Well, I, it's just more simple back then. I said, ma'am, do you have any oil in the house? She said, yes, I've got sunflower oil. I said, go get the sunflower oil, Patrick. We laid sunflower oil on her forehead, and her eye regulated immediately. And she said, I've been healed. <laughs> Went to her doctor. There was no more tumor. But just in case Patrick still didn't believe a convicted murderer they told me not to work with, we ended up in a warehouse together for eight hours. And by the time we were done, I had a six-foot-four convicted murderer got out on a technicality in my arms crying as he gave his heart to God. He's a deacon in a Baptist church in Sherman right now. And I sat at a machine with the Church of God backslidden minister that had left his wife, led him back to Jesus. And right now I can tell you for a fact, I know at least 10 years ago, he was a pastor again in Ohio, pastoring a church in Cleveland. He went back to his wife and his children. Let me tell you, God wants to use you if you believe that Jesus is alive. It doesn't matter what your age is. You get in the presence of God, he's going to do something through you. He's got lost children that need hope. He has wounded people that need hope. May God help us. He comes in, Thomas, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. See, he brings the fruit of the Spirit when he walks into a room. He brings peace. Nothing in this world right now that does not bring peace should you be a part of. He brings love. Nothing in this world that does not bring love should you be a part of. He brings joy. If you're not bringing joy into the room, you haven't been in the presence of Jesus Christ. He is the maker of peace. He is the maker of love. He is the maker of joy. I don't care what your politics are today. I don't care what your ethnicity is today. I am he who serves Christ. And where I stand, Jesus Christ will be known. Hallelujah. And he said to Thomas, put your finger hand, see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Jesus not only proves that he's God. In that moment, in verse 25, he proves that he's a man. I don't know what you expect when you get to heaven. It's all kinds of things people talk about. The streets of gold, I forget. The gates of pearl. Can I tell you what you will encounter when you get to heaven? You will encounter a man that loves you. Above anything else. And when you've encountered him, you will never want to be with anyone else. Can't that be our story today? Can't that be our story right now? Isn't that the point of the Holy Spirit being with us today? That once we've had an encounter with him, and he brings us to that man that loves us, we don't need anything else. You've got to lead somebody to Jesus. Let me say this. At 12.03, after 40 minutes of preaching, if you don't remember anything, you must lead somebody to Jesus, and you can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Whew. Folks, I'm finishing, now I'm concluding. Usually I say I'm concluding three times, and I'm going to have mercy on you today because you've got Bill Moore coming tonight, and he may preach for four hours. I have no idea what Bill's going to do. And please keep in mind that you were supposed to get version one, Brent. There's three of us. you got version three. I'm cheaper and slimmer. <clears throat> Brent would be asking you for about $30,000 for a tabernacle. I'm not asking for that. Mm. Oh, yes, Jesus enters in by a miracle, doesn't he? He enters in even though the door is locked. He just walks right through it. That's the master's call for you today. Not the greatest sermon I've ever preached because I skipped about half of it. But it's the truth for you today that God wants you to walk through every barrier to show people who Jesus is. Because he is God. And he's a man. And he's alive. Jesus is alive. A Muslim woman, Justine, came to my first evangelism in Abidjan. She came in a full hijab, her face completely covered, so I couldn't even see her face, looking through a screen. She came down and accepted Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people there that night. We had promised every single person that came that there would be a follow-up. The Sunday came, she was there with the others. The following Wednesday came with one of my two church leaders. I had seven, but one of them was there. I said, hey, have we visited everybody? And he said, no. He said, uh, there's a few we haven't visited, and there's this lady, Muslim lady that came. We haven't gotten to her house yet. I said, oh, boy, we better go. It was late. It's already a dangerous neighborhood. At night, I couldn't even take my family. So we went down in the alleyways and down the rubble of that neighborhood and came into a very pleasant apartment. And there she was. First thing I noticed, there was no furniture in her house. And then I also noticed something else, because she no longer had the full hijab on. She's in her home. She was very pregnant. And she came to us, and I saw joy come on her face. Brent was visiting that night. And so he went out with me, and we went together with the church leader. 
We were not aware that Justine had believed the message but wanted proof. She said, those people are going to come visit me. And I don't believe anybody cares about me because her Moroccan husband who had gotten her pregnant, the day he found out she was pregnant, he had abandoned her and divorced her at the mosque. So she was struggling to eat. And she had sold everything in her home to try to feed her body in her pregnancy. And she went to the pharmacy and had a big bag of pills. And she told Allah, if Jesus, Jesus, she said, if you're really real, if you're the son of God, somebody will come to my house tonight to show me that they love me because I have been abandoned by everyone. So a person didn't come that night. Three witnesses came. Two men from America and one man from Ivory Coast who now lives in Canada. <laughs> and we prayed with her. And she said, I have amulets and fetishes that I bought. I need to get rid of them. She said, I gave these for spiritual power. We took them outside her house and we burned them. Then she started coming to church, and a week later she said, Pastor, I have a confession to make. I have a little business. And it's full also of all of these things that I bought at the mosque for spiritual power. So with my church leader, we drove over to her business, and we dug them up and found them everywhere, and there were about 20 of them. And we burned them in front of a Catholic church in Abidjan. Just simple missionary work in the middle of the night when you're exhausted and you want to go home and you're dealing with people's idols and their fetishes. She got up and gave a testimony two months later. She couldn't explain it. Her little shop where she sold clothes. It was the most pitiful clothing I've ever seen in my whole life. There's nothing in there. She got up and said, I got rid of all the fetishes to our church. And she said, I can't believe it. I have filled my store up three times and it empties out every two weeks. She said, I have people coming from across the city. Folks, this would be like people from Weatherford going all the way to Terrell to shop. They're coming that far across this city of 10 million, by the way, with a lot worse traffic and a lot worse roads, to buy at her shop, people she didn't know. She said, God just keeps blessing me. And I whispered in her ear that day. I said, Justine, this is the truth. I whispered in her ear in French as everybody rejoiced. You remember, if he's God on the mountain, he's still God in the valley. So as I got on a plane to go to an all-Africa conference with our family, to go to South Africa. Justine was already supposed to give birth to that baby. And her Muslim neighbors knew that she hadn't given birth. It had been three weeks. And they said, you abandoned the mosque. You abandoned your spirits. And now you're going to pay the price. So at the airport on the day I'm leaving, I get a call from Justine. She's been to the hospital. And her baby's dead in her womb. So our church got together before I got on that plane. I sent a prayer team over there, five people. And then we gave an offering from the church because they were going to have to get take care of the child in the womb. The doctor had told her, you have about 48 hours at this point. We believe there'll be blood poisoning. We sent her to another Christian doctor at a very fine facility, did the same report, the same outcome. The baby is dead. Your baby's not just dead. It's obviously dead. 
As I went to get on the flight, Justine in tears on the phone. She said, Pastor, what am I going to do? Everyone has said I'm cursed because I walked away from all my idols, all of our, my religion. What am I going to do? I said, Justine, you've got to do what's best for your body. God will take that child, and that child will have a home. That's what I told her as a pastor. She didn't listen to her pastor. She ignored my advice. She went back to the hospital with our ministry team, with them encouraging them, her to do what she should do for her body. She said to the doctor, you don't understand. I was dead, and now I'm alive. And I don't care if I die. This is what I've told Jesus. If I die in 48 hours with this child in me, then I die. Because I cannot accept that he who walked out of the grave would let my child die in my womb. When I flew back from South Africa 10 days later, <laughs> Justine had given birth to a healthy baby girl. Four months later, at Easter, I baptized Justine while my mother held her baby in his arms. I've got a magazine I gave your pastor. I think she's the most beautiful baby I've ever seen in my life. If I hadn't come home for itineration, I might have found a way to adopt her. That'd be wrong because she's got a mama. <clears throat> Justine stood in front of her Muslim family that had come because they were stunned. And she gave a testimony of who Jesus was. And her mother in the village who thought she was dead assisted in that baptism. And we worship God. This is what's happening in missions. This is what's happening around the world. And this is what belongs to you this morning. As you enter into a month of missions, understand you're entering into the testimonies that you're going to give. The young guy in a little car trying to eat in Denton, Texas, has brought you a report that I have been around the world. And what I believe then is even more true today. Jesus is alive in Denton, Texas. Jesus is alive in Paris, France. Jesus is alive in Abidjan. And I want us to stand on our feet today, and I want us to do something before I give this back to your pastor. It's 12:13. God help us. I lied. I went 25 minutes instead of 15. If you're angry, see me in the parking lot. I'll peel out. <clears throat> you sang a song that touched my heart, and I know why I'm emotional. Just before I came up here was one of the songs we sing every Sunday in Bethel. That last song, now I can't remember it. My mind's gone on me. Hmm. That last song we sang, what was it, brother? Because he lived. How could I forget that? I've had a sore throat and problems and could barely sing it. I sounded like a frog over here croaking, a true Frenchman this morning trying to sing it. But we're going to do something today, and we're going to sing Because He Lives. I'm going to ask the music team to do it. I want you physical distance. If you need to, please. But I want you to get into groups of five this morning to go to people perhaps you don't know or that you're not sitting next to. And I want you to stand with those people. And quickly, I want you to say to them aloud, here is, let's do, a, let's do groups of three. 
Let's do groups of three. It won't be, it would be a lot quicker that way. I want you to say to those other two people, here is the miracle I need in my life. And I believe that Jesus is alive. And I want you to agree with me that on this date, the beginning of October, I brought this to God. And I want you to have a testimony of a miracle by the end of October. How many of you want a miracle by the end of October? You're going to verbalize it. Then you're going to go and give a testimony in this church. And you want to know what? You're going to have two witnesses say, this person said that, and this is the miracle that happened in my life. I want even the music team, before you sing, I want you to share some three together. I want everybody to get together right now, find two other people, and share with them, this is the miracle I'm looking for my life. Can you do that with me? And with those people, three or four people, I want you to say, this is October the 3rd, is it? The 5th. On October 5th, share it right now. Begin to share what you want in your life. You need this miracle. You need this healing. You need this finance. You need this in your life. Be as specific as you possibly can. You're going to give a good report. You're going to give a good report. Jesus is on the throne, and he is alive. Hallelujah. 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 Now, I want you to raise up your hand when you've given that. If you're in a group, I want you to raise up one hand to the air, and I want you to begin to tell God what it was, agreeing together. Come on. Raise your hands up. Everybody hear me? When you've given your report, raise your hand up and keep it up. When you've given your report, get your hand in the air. And keep it in the air. When you've given your report, get your hand in the air and keep it in the air. Come on. You've given what you need. Put your hand in the air. Let's go, folks. It doesn't take long. Tell them what you need. Put your hand in the air. Tell them what you need. Put your hand in the air. Come on. Come on. Put that hand in the air. Now, with your second hand, listen to me now, audience. Listen. With your second hand, both hands raised, you begin to thank God because he's already done it. You begin to thank him. And I want our team up here to sing. Be he lives I can face tomorrow hallelujah because he lives all fear is gone because I know He lives. Come on.
Hallelujah. Visualize it right now. You needed a miracle. God will do it. He'll do it if you do this now. You say, God, give me one person that I can share your love with. Give me one person that I can show them who you are. And God's going to do it when you ask what is in heart to win somebody. Let's pray that this morning then. And as they sing one more time, let's say, God, send me to someone to win them. And then thank him for what he's going to do in your life because he loves you. He wants to bring you joy. He wants to bring you peace. And he is going to do what he said he's going to do because he's alive. Let's sing it one more time. Come on, bring it on. Let's go. Hallelujah.